The business currently known as Clear used to formerly be known as ClearTax. It started out in 2011 as a minimal, sleek and blazingly fast website to help Indians file taxes. Today it does much more than just people's taxes. Even though its overwhelming market leadership means competitors are just rounding errors, according to Archit Gupta, the company's co-founder and CEO. I went into my conversation with Archit with a line from Clear's website saying its platform handled over three hundred billion dollars worth of business invoices each year. He told me the figure was a bit outdated. By how much? It was six hundred billion dollars and not three hundred billion dollars. Hello and welcome back to another wonderful episode of First Principles, the leadership podcast from the Ken. I'm Rohan Dharmakumar, your host, and this. is episode 24 operating largely below the funding and valuation radars of 2020 to 2022 clear has been quietly affecting a business model pivot under archit's leadership today it is overwhelmingly a business to business focused company and not a business to consumer one as india digitizes and formalizes its tax systems together Clear has ridden both waves to help businesses and consumers stay compliant. But this transition hasn't been quick or easy, as Archit candidly opens up about in our conversation. We talk about his evolution, unlearning, and remaking as a CEO seeking to build a profitable and lasting company. Why he turned from a business-focused to a product-focused CEO about a year ago. why being misunderstood as a business has helped clear stay under the radar and play the long term game how much of a cultural shift it took for clear to start charging its customers to file taxes why archit decided to expand from india to saudi arabia why passion for excellence curiosity and ambition are the three markers he looks for in people all else being noise stay on keep listening I take deep comfort in being wrong and misunderstood. Archit, you once said this in an interview around 2020. What have you been wrong and misunderstood about lately? Hmm. Great question and great start. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where have I been wrong? Um, more recently. Uh, th- we've been lo- wrong lots of times so i think it's 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 it, that that one's easy um more recently was uh, uh around uh, i would say monetizing the consumer business uh, one uh, like our chief business officer uh, drove the company into monetizing the consumer business and uh, the kind of price points uh, that he was talking about the rest of the company didn't imagine so over there uh, to, to be clear you're 
you're talking about asking those who file taxes through clear tax for to free. pay for it yes for the first time we said like we'll charge for it and uh, given that and you're saying you were wrong about it and most of the company was wrong about it because right. you so weren't I, doing it i think the the pricing power we had and the monetization scope we had uh, that is what i was wrong about i think we were we were very convinced in the core team that like we have to charge for it like we have to turn that business line profitable and so that we can continue investing otherwise it would have been a sharp deep cut uh, because the running the business with no revenue was not an option uh, for us anymore but i i want to come back to this question later because i do have it for you but for now what was the price point that you thought would be uh, appropriate and what was the price point that your chief business officer said right so it has been an evolution i think the consensus price point was around maybe 400 rupees but the emergent price point was more close to 1000 rupees so a pretty big delta and and what do you currently charge 1000 right like so average pay is it has a full spread so the other place i was wrong uh, was our middle east expansion started with saudi arabia and uh, to me we we did not have perspectives and understanding of that country at all uh, and we thought the right country to probably start is maybe the uae slightly more business friendly uh, from a perspective that we had at that time in like the uh, and over there also choosing saudi arabia was right so again like an area i was wrong but uh, turned out to be just fine uh, in in hindsight so uh, wrong on that misunderstood uh i think as our opportunity continues to be misunderstood I, and i i think that's great because uh we then tend to attract less competitors we then tend to uh like when i look at uh some of the uh, some of these uh, indexes which uh, track saas companies we don't show up although our revenue will be pretty material to show up and and so on and so forth so people mostly think we are a consumer tax company and they mostly don't understand that we do b2b saas and we do it globally so i think that would be the simplest level of misunderstanding of our business and and that suits you because you're saying it allows you to stay under the radar yeah we prefer it like that we just prefer to uh, work on i would say what are hard problems what are generally perceived as unsexy problems uh, and it gives us time to build things right because i i've seen when there is either an insane growth pressure driven by let's say circumstances then we build when then we take the wrong shortcuts and then we have seen i've seen some founders forced to take shortcuts when the competitive landscape and dynamic drives that uh, behavior so we have had the is the second part we have had the luxury of not having uh, the wrong kind of competitors we do have competition just to be sure but we of can talk course. about that but the It misunderstanding part is today's day and age for you to not have any competition can you explain what clear is hmm. in a few lines in a way that my 30 year old son could understand we simplify taxes for individuals and businesses so that they can focus on their primary work and technology can take care of uh like anything they need to deal with the government on uh, with regards to how a business should be run or how individuals need to deal 
the simplest 13 year old articulation on your website you say 300 billion dollars worth of business to business invoices flow through clear each year what does that mean so now the number is 600 billion <laughs> so what that well, means your is your marketing team will be hearing this <laughs> and they'll be hearing that that figure has not been updated in a while in a while yes so um basically what that means is um and th- so this is a big trend and big change in the world which is happening governments across the uh, across the globe are saying like uh, are driving two two big changes one is they want to digitize every b2b or every transaction where there's an invoice uh, why are they doing that two reasons one they are saying we want our fair share of taxes second we want digitization because it leads to very good second order effects the good second order effects are countries move from paper to digital and there is a digital trail on which financial services most importantly working capital lending and access to capital can happen so this is the these are national mandates the primary first order is getting more tax revenue and in indirect taxes which is generally vat or sales tax or gst there's a historically massive amount of tax evasion by small and medium businesses because sometimes the tax amount is more than the margin itself on the product or the service i think all of us are familiar and, and we know this because shopkeepers would ask do you want an invoice or no invoice and the price would differ based on whether you want an invoice or not which precisely. effectively is the pricing the tax into the equation precisely and so in commodities like uh, just the tax difference is enough to make margin so so it's it's entire um entire economies run in the shadow part of our country and many countries and many parts of the and the smaller businesses do take that as an arbitrage especially mom and pop globally it's not a india only phenomena india obviously we are uh, we are very sophisticated in tax evasion used to be now with gst and, and this movement is what's referred to as formalization so it's digitization plus formalization as well right so uh, both are chicken and egg basically formalization does happen without digitization sometimes but countries like india which uh generally approach a very low trust model uh, so india has decided the least trust model we don't trust anybody you have to write to the national digital ledger which the gstn maintains and every business has to create an electronic invoice they have to create it real time if it's a b2b transaction b2c they have to report it once a month to the government uh at the end of the month so this is super critical and this is the change globally uh so we entered saudi arabia uh because they decided all b2b and b2c transactions have to be electronically invoiced so many countries across the world are moving to this so and we fortunately stumbled into this when we started doing gst for india and then electronic invoicing for india and india said like way bills have to also be done because we removed toll booths uh, where uh, sorry not toll booths uh, the checking booths and the waybills have a qr code and trucks can move so different countries have slightly different implementations and they use it for different purposes india uses it for movement of goods taxes tax evasion and so on and so forth uh, and more and more countries across the world are moving to this real time uh, digital invoice 
But uh, to go back to my question, when you say $600 billion worth of invoices move through clear, what does that mean? So at the point of sale or at the point of invoice creation, our technology will be used for creating that electronic invoice. So that means that people are using clear software. Uh, software, software or API. So right. either or, like uh, they could be using our our, our web-based GUI or they could be using their ERP system or point-of-sale solution and hitting our APIs. This in turn in, <coughs> writes to the government ledger uh, and then the ledger settles every month for every business so that uh, if I invoice to you, for example, and you're a business, I am a business, you get tax credits next month and then you have to pay less taxes. But if I don't write about you into that national ledger, you have to pay more taxes. So you will force me that, hey, I need that uh, that valid invoice. So basically, then you'll see every checkout form in e-commerce, they ask you, right, like with GSTN so that you can take those tax credits. So it's that is the 600 billion that I'm referring to. You, you're the number one GST. I mean, again, going by your own this thing, right? You're the number one GST platform for enterprises. And you're also the number one income tax platform for individual taxpayers we'll come to this later because you had started out originally as a site focused only on individual taxpayers and then you've kind of pivoted to it but i was before i move on from this just very intrigued by this um one claim in there which again if it's updated please tell me which is 1000 crores worth of taxes saved per year what does that mean right so essentially this is the calculation of uh, the tax savings people have done on the platform by declaring their taxes. So we track two numbers, how much tax are people saving, whether it is ATC, ATD, uh, all the sections uh, across. And the second one we track is how much taxes are people paying. So these two numbers, I think we track and I think that's where how the 1000 crore number is coming from. How does Clear make money? So very simple business model, uh, no, nothing complex in there. Uh, the We charge a subscription fee from either individual consumers or businesses. So basically software as a service. And on the consumer side, we charge it right now as uh, just before filing, uh, you can prepare the tax return for free. And, uh, and then once you decide to submit to the government, then we charge a small fee for you to uh, finish the transaction and uh, that's on the consumer side on the b2b side you have to pay uh, to buy a license an annual subscription typically and then uh, you either pay us annually monthly or quarterly depending on the on the contract and basically and software a function service. of volume of generally uh, right. a function of the 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 uh, the amount uh, the sas fee so basically very very simple business model and we recently bought a company uh, called Expedise, which hel which does invoice discounting on the supply chain. Uh, and we can talk about it We've now. Which is basically a business trying to borrow money based on the dues of Yeah, so if you have an invoice out and it's net 30, net 45, sure. net 60, and then you can get paid early. So you get access of your trade receivable fast. So that company we bought. So over there, we earn some small bips on the transaction. So that's the additional basis business points. model, but it's a very new business for us. Bips being basis points. Basis points. Yes, yes. Sorry, basis points on the on the transaction. But like ninety nine point five percent of our business will be the SaaS fee. So I think for the thirteen year old listening, it's the SaaS fee, software as a service fee that right. is our business. You started in two thousand eleven. 
That's right. Right. And for the longest time, you didn't charge to file taxes. One decade, ten years. <laughs> right. And then one fine day, you decided to charge um, for filing taxes. Mm. Now I'm assuming that between the year, I mean, the for first ten years, and then subsequently, your software didn't dramatically change. Right. You must have always upgraded and added new features, but the decision to charge. was not a function of hey the software is now something fundamentally different right but instead i see it as a function of like you said we have the ability to charge and more importantly consumers might pay us for this so what was that change because i mean as a layman it looks as though over time unlike other countries for instance like the us where the tax code is very complex in india it has become simpler uh to file taxes forms have been simplified the government's own portals etc have been simplified right and yet you have the ability to charge customers to do that what is that like why do people pay clear tax to file or or any competitor when they could do it for free right that's a great question and that's the question that's been the central dilemma uh, the company certain people inside pros and cons right like you are bottling something which is available for free right like it's that free water versus like uh, and and you're the folks who made it free in the yeah, first place right yeah, like yeah. if if there's one brand which is representative for easy and quick filing of taxes in india <laughs> it's clear tax yes exactly so uh, i think so <laughs> i'll have to unpack the question in three four uh, pieces pieces right and i want to separate the do it yourself versus do it for me i think the do it for me has always been paid uh, we have also charged a small fee for it since the beginning uh, and if you want to use a ca to file and many a people a tax expert yeah That's and right. you can go to your own tax expert if you have one if you don't have one we'll give you one kind of model and that has been always a small part of our business and we have offered it to complete the offering but we always believed very deeply that the diy market is underserved and that is what we need to power and we need to uh service so with on the diy side we started free and uh, obviously the goal one of the goals was in the past was okay we can find a way to cross sell this we can find a way to create this as a funnel to something else and so on so forth uh i think once the b2b business started we never got the time to build that something else on the consumer side we figured that we so i'll i'll first Uh, describe the motivation for a few minutes and then we'll describe why there is pricing power sure. so the motivation was we needed to invest in this business so that we continue to create a good offering and good product now uh, the reason for that was there is investment needed to keep the tax code updated and and so on and so forth uh, the reason for that is the uh, the millennials and gen z are evolving very rapidly i think covid era pushed people into a lot more stock trading a lot more uh, so the tax filings are much more complex much more complex right it's so no longer just income from salaries form and, and, and form 16 and and people switch jobs much more i i think the the the, the real estate slash gold being the dominant way to make money invest has completely changed i think that has been a significant evolution from when we started 10 years ago i i think the power users were using these features but now 20 38% people end up using 
a more interesting tax form and with more income sources and so maybe that number 38% started 38% relative to what the default to like our total it? user base like 38% 38% of people opted to pay for opted uh, to use it? a more complex version of the, the product okay then the just that form 16 the sim Got it. so i first want to start with like maybe when we started a decade ago it was 8% so the evolution of people who were just doing a simple tax return to now people having many more sources of income complexity of income and taxes has gone up from roughly 8% when you started to 38% now uh, where where people have either they have trading they have mutual funds they have they have what have you so i think that's a big evolution and big change in the in the dynamics of income sources and the diversity and earlier people just doing real estate and gold changing right so i think that's one big thing second is uh, us having a business model around this business so these were our internal motivations uh, because we saw like the investment it takes to update a high quality diy product is is quite a bit we have to have a high quality engineering team we have to pay them fairly market salaries also have, for engineers has gone up meaningfully i think everybody on the show would be aware so um, so now coming to the charging for a free product and the dynamic i think <clears throat> there is a certain kind of user uh, which can deal with the government portal and the complexity i think our primary competitors are, are twofold one is you do it yourself on the government portal you do it yourself at clear tax or you go to a chartered accountant or a tax expert depending on their qualification this is this is it uh, the other competitors are rounding errors they are they are not relevant so the do it yourself audience splits into two parts one is um they're okay with the complexity and dealing with a very complex portal despite the fact that there is a new tax regime despite the fact that there is uh, theoretically you can file at ITR1 by yourself with the government i think there's enough of an audience which needs simplicity which needs uh, which is willing to pay the 400 to 500 rupees we charge and uh, which is now because of i guess amazon swiggy zomato and what have you is okay with paying that 400 or 500 rupees once a year for this service so i think the evolution of the indian internet has also happened uh, i think people are aware that they can pay for something upi is there so so i think we are on the dividend of all the work the other internet folks have done to make users pay for transactions so i think this year we found no resistance on paying for transactions the second part is i think we were just dealing with the mindset shift of our own customer base saying ye to free hota tha this was this used to be free why should i pay for this so i think the whole mindset shift of our customers to our customers is the thing we are dealing with uh, that like something which was perceived free has become paid but i think once they get past that grief then they go and pay the 400 rupees of from what you're saying that should be all right because if that number of people who have i think additional slash complex income has gone up from 8 to 38% people generally don't mind paying that an additional fee if you've made more money and you're filing taxes for it so right? i think it's unclear whether they've made more money on uh, i think like because <laughs> most people in trading lose money i think almost 98 99% people lose money while trading stocks or trading options so uh, i think it's unclear whether they made money or lost money especially in crypto most people lost money but i think the more the more interesting takeaway is that over there the quality of our product the diy product is head and shoulders above anything that exists out there so and this is no critique to any any the uh, any offering by 
the government or what have you we just have like obsessed on it and done it better so i think over there our product craft shows over there the quality of the product is head and shoulders above so over yeah, we have integrations with all major brokers api integrations and what have you one click data is pulled in uh, this product is so good that charter accountants also use this a lot uh, i believe like 25000 charter accountant firms in the country use our product uh, for the for this capital gains and other things so so overall i would say the over there there is no resistance like over there it's a no brainer customers are happy to pay the nps is very high it's the 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 segment which you said right like single form 16 and what have you over there it's mixed i think the government has uh, is much bigger than us and then as users get more uh, complex needs they keep moving to us how many employees are there at clear today around 800 folks and what's your revenue <laughs> can't answer that as a private company <laughs> all right how fast are you growing so last year we grew revenue about 70% uh, this year we are on track to grow revenue another 80% how much venture capital have you raised to date about 150 million usd and what was your last valuation <sighs> i think it's in the public domain so i don't know if i have to talk about it but if it's in the public domain surely you can tell us <laughs> so some something slightly over a uh, 500 million usd all right how old are you 39 because i think you left the us when what 2011 you were a 27 yeah, year old 38 soon turning 39 ah, yeah. <laughs> my research was very close oh, no. you're married and you have a 2 year old yes <laughs> what's her name arya <laughs> how many co-founders do you have at clear so uh, besides me there are two other co-founders ankit and srivatsan in 2011 you were in the bay area working with startups you were 27 in 2023 you're in the bengaluru area and you're almost 39 how's the archit of today different from the archit of then yeah i think uh, the archit of today is far more patient uh, i think i've realized everything takes <coughs> longer in india uh, because the only data point at that time i had was the barrier uh, in the barrier i've seen startups scale up much faster scale up revenues much faster scale up to cash flows much faster uh and at that era startups used to be far more frugal so the boom times had not happened um so the archit of that time very like like the angry young man lot of impatience lot of uh lot of <coughs> uh, like to get somewhere faster <coughs> i think uh, now it's about uh, getting to the right place at the right pace so i think <clears throat> i think the velocity matters a lot more than than action and what have you so i think do you have role models yeah i would say so who are they i think from role models perspective the challenge is obviously to de- like deify individuals because they obviously have deep flaws but it's it's great to like learn from afar so it's it's more like the so one is yc i think overall paul graham's y combinator yeah the y you combinator went, you yeah. were one of the first i think you were the, the, the first, first indian company to go to yc in 2014 14 yes so i think first i'll start with paul graham i think the overall focus of putting customers and users at the center of 
making something people want has been the principle and the the sort of focus on that part uh, i think the writings and uh, and then in yc in the in person interaction and like he's fairly consistent what he says in the in his uh, what he writes what is what he is says what you, huh, what you see is what you get like so overall that very deep consistency about uh, about like how to build a startup how to remain focused keeping the main thing the main thing i think those yeah i think we all of us just read this massive essay he wrote last month about how to work hard <laughs> huge essay uh, yeah. and lots of really like you know great insight i'm still working through it <laughs> i've still not gotten to <laughs> it. Uh, gotten to the end of it like so but yeah i mean overall uh, so pg being one uh, i would say from very afar obviously deep inspiration from bezos i think uh, what i've seen is we are and uh some of the principles i i've really started to value is uh i think the discipline with which low margin businesses operate is uh is much higher than businesses with high margins operate i think and the loose funding environment obviously drove a lot of profligacy but we uh like really admire how amazon has been built and over there so the principles are very deep and building for the long term thinking many quarters out so his writings in the annual letters and some of the writings which whatever has been made public has had tremendous impact so i i would say the the people who write are the ones who and that's I've what's had, common to paul graham and bezos as well right. because they're both known for writing extremely rigorous uh, long form. and long form uh, notes about what they believe in right and obviously the kind of ambition elon musk drove and like shipping uh, rockets and and cars and what have you i think that is obviously phenomenal and inspirational to see not to mention spending 44 billion dollars to buy twitter and <laughs> making it x I, but i think uh, it's part of the package i think you <laughs> you like as kanye west says right you don't get you get all the crazy you can't get one part of the crazy which is the creative element and the music you have to get the all the crazy so that's i think well i think you get all the crazy but i i think that's where i meant the principles matter and uh, and i think peter thiel another uh, like zero to one very high quality writings very strong impact uh, on me personally so i think i think the the people in the startup ecosystem who have written very clearly and cogently the thoughts have had the maximum amount of impact and and uh, and some of it is not relevant for india and i think that's the part which i'm happy about this podcast some of it is highly illogical and irrelevant for india uh, and the indian founders have had to adopt and write different playbooks i don't think they've been published and written very clearly i think it behooves us founders to put that out or Uh, the can to put it out but i think that part is also critical which is doesn't make sense from the western world to india is there a culture of writing at clear to a degree yes uh, i think <clears throat> it varies from pockets like we are not as consistent uh, but there is a deep uh, drive that we we don't do powerpoints we do writings to share our thoughts uh, we are okay with wip documents uh, so it's not uh, like we have had some folks from amazon join i think the rigorous standard of writing is higher over there uh, what we have re- realized is that rigor is paralyzing for 
people not trained in that rigor uh, because amazon trains people in that rigor for a while before but and they have a critical mass uh, we are we are arriving at that critical mass so people uh, some people have gotten to that level of excellence some are still evolving but writing is very core and central to growing at clear there's this saying uh, right or wrong that we are the average of the five people we spend the most amount of time with who are these five people for you right so one is my co-founders ankit and shri watson uh, the other is uh, rohit uh, who's the chief business officer uh, other the fourth one would obviously be my wife <laughs> uh, and the fifth one um would be what's her name uh, my wife's name is vinita yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah uh, vinita and then the fifth one would be i would say would be a close friend uh, asim and we hang out right and pratik like these are my close friends so so i i did want to name people outside work <laughs> as the ceo of both b2c and a b2b product which is used at scale uh, and i mean like millions of uh, customers how do you study and observe consumer behavior for your products or how do you understand consumer behavior right so on the b2c side we've been f- a little more fortunate and it's been uh, a little bit easier i'll, I'll share why uh, <clears throat> i think a all of us came from a consumer mindset because that's the first thing we built and that's the thing we understood and uh, we got into yc y combinator at a formative time and so what we drilled into the core team at and that core team has con- largely continued in the consumer side was uh, you have to talk to users and that's one of the mantra in yc right like talk to your users talk to your users and when they say talk to your users it's not like second hand research or uh, it's like literally picking up the phone or a zoom call get on a call with the customers and talk to them really so we have a culture of uh, if a person drops off while using the software why did they drop off extreme curiosity a product manager in our company will have to do 50 to 100 calls before they are allowed to write their first spec uh, in the consumer side so the i think and it's it's really funny and i'll get to the point where b2c and b2b is vastly different i think and we have two different cultures running in the same firm and uh and it bothers me a lot <laughs> but uh but on the b2c side there is tremendous uh like ability to listen at scale uh, just because the original dna has continued very deeply and um and we are very used to in the when the tax season or the cycle is going on we call it the tax season and in that time hundreds of user calls happen every day 100 plus user calls and it'll be driven by folks in sales it'll be driven by folks in customer support it'll be driven by product managers it'll be driven by uh, like we have slack groups where customer feedback is flowing through and coming into for engineers to read and and what have you so overall on the consumer side i think uh, it has served so, us sorry well. before we move on from this if i were to therefore look at your product development on some kind of a chart i would see typically like a huge spike in inputs uh around tax season which you would probably spend the next 6 to 9 months building out before the next one and then one huge spike <laughs> coming is that what it would look precisely like? yeah so we uh we get so much feedback during that time 
so we we keep joking one day of tax season is equal to one month of non tax the, the intensity the kind of code we ship the quality the rigor everything goes up dramatically it's game time and then the other time feels like practice time so i think literally it feels like two different cadences um yeah so overall on the b2c side we do a reasonable job on listening i think the where it where good versus great happens on b2c is how much ambition do we bring to solving the problem so i'll give a recent example we uh, this was this came from listening to customers um, so this one user uh, who filed with us last year got a tax notice and the notice came from the fact that this user misunderstood something in their income and tax statement and then they coded it they misclassified it and then the software did what it could because the user input supersedes what are uh, supersedes everything uh, like we pass the all the tax forms and everything but after a point we we give the keys and the card to the user so the user got a notice and they randomly reached out and i got curious and then our team started listening to this user and we figured uh, the government does very one very interesting thing it uh, it matches taxes precisely uh, to your 26 as like it matches exactly what the tax amount they know from the ecosystem but if you go ahead and declare a income more than what they have they will accept that as the truth so if you if you ever declare more more taxes submitted they will take the lower value but if you declare any amount of income they will take the higher amount of value of what what you have declared and what they have so so that was one so we created an exception engine for that so this was a relatively easier product solve but the more interesting product solution which we are which we drove one version of this cycle was if you get a notice we'll take care of it so then we said like uh how many notices come then we ran a statistical model we built a prediction engine and then we have a mismatch score which we couldn't ship in this cycle we'll ship it next cycle the second so this was a paid upgrade uh, is a small n- amount of money like it's an assurance and you can buy it for 99 rupees or something it's almost like micro insurance micro yeah but like it's not an insurance because it's it. IRDA I so and then like uh, the thing that I, i wanted us to drive and that is where the ambition comes in is that we should give it to every user that uses us no matter what if you file with us you have notice prevention built in so i think then what i've realized is it comes down to how we think of our ambition and so listening and then marrying it to very being very ambitious so if we can do so listening we are pretty good at b2c on the consumer but marrying it to ambition is something we can keep getting better at so the difference between good and great i would say we are still we are good uh i want to figure out how we get to great uh but on the b2b side it's a different story altogether which is the contrast between a b2c org and a b2b org what metrics do you obsess over so the csat and uh retention customer satisfaction yeah scores. the customer satisfaction and the retention scores matter a lot to us so our business is the is a software as a service business and uh, our business is retention our business is customer success so if we get the users returning to us and our net revenue retention between last year to this year is healthy and getting healthier we are on the right track we may grow slower faster uh, on new revenue and it really doesn't matter if users are returning uh, <clears throat> so that is the core metric the heart of it so on the b2c side we 
have to look at indicators that whether this user will return or not because of the annual cycle. Uh, <clears throat> we are generally best in class when we benchmark even to TurboTax, which is the US one. Uh, in the B2B SaaS product, uh, the uh, we have uh, real-time data, right, in terms of because users can stop paying anytime and stop using anytime. So I, over there, we track it obsessively. We have we put very strong goals on that. So that's really where the business uh, makes or breaks. Is there a line, perhaps one line that your team dreads hearing from you in reviews, etc.? A phrase or a line? <laughs> I'm thinking. Hmm. Perhaps uh, we'll come back to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll come back to it, yeah. What might be the three most common adjectives your colleagues use to describe you? Hmm. I think one would be customer. I think because every uh, everything that I try to do uh, in the company is about the customer. Uh, so I think that's number one. <clears throat> the second one would be... Uh, and I, th I think the, the adjectives have changed over time. So now I think it, it will be about... Uh, like profitability and long haul. So I think now that's the, that's been our, like, but we've been focused on it for the last three years. So it's not. Are least, you profitable today? Uh, not yet. But, uh, but we, and I can talk about it. We can get to profitability much faster. We we have enough balance sheet strength and we are expanding globally. So we are making sure like we don't. Uh, so you're making conscious choices to invest in right. market expansion, product expansion. Right. And the, the the third one is now a lot more product obsession i think uh, i think i've changed my role uh, over the last one year to be the business facing ceo to now product facing ceo so i think a lot more in that direction. what what brought about that change so fundamentally <clears throat> fundamentally our business grows when we solve more customer problems and uh, in the beginning and this is something we we have done well. Uh, we uh, think of the think of it as a bicycle where both wheels have to uh, turn. One is the GTM wheel and the other is the product wheel. I think the go to market wheel. Go to market, yes. GTM being go to market. So uh, we are not in. We have never believed in like you. If you build it, they will come. Like we believe you have to go out there, get your message across. Uh, we've never spent too much money on advertising or marketing we've been very focused because on you've been killers at seo i remember you've always been like you know back from i mean when i knew you originally 2015 16 etc i think clear tax used to kill it in terms of seo is that still true yeah still true very focused very obsessed on that like but i think we never started it from a perspective of we want to be good at seo we wanted to be we used to search things around taxes. Nothing used to come up on Google. So we started writing. Then Google started ranking us. So then... And so it's still uncanny. Just in the last, I think, couple of weeks, there have been multiple times I've hit your website, not while researching for this interview, but by searching for while searching for something else related to some tax code or oh, really? okay. something okay. else, etc. Right. So, I mean, I must compliment you for staying at it. Yeah. yeah we've been... And it's not even consumer, I understand, because clear tax... There would be a bunch of these consumerish tax things that came out. These were all just things slightly more GST-ish. So yeah, quite yeah. So I think we've always believed that a GTM should be a strength. So we've invested also on it, and I was focusing over there a lot more. 
what i figured was the uh, and covid sucked at this like uh, the we did not have the rituals and practices to be very very excellent in shipping things when we were all remote i think we struggled with it uh, especially to be enterprise grade i think consumer overall we were fine but enterprise grade stuff for b2b and that's where the listening at scale at b2b i i, I think we can get much better and we are getting better but the the um and that's why we are now back to work from office i think we didn't have five the, days a week yeah all five days a week we didn't have the rituals and the practices to be excellent at work collaborating remotely so what that meant was the products that were coming out were were missing the mark somehow like they were they were okay I, and i think not art, crafted yeah not crafted like and so i think the and our and like sort of like it, uh, dna wise it hurts us when our products are not crafted well because i think the our teams like we are not in a sexy space right like teams don't people individuals who choose to join us make a very deliberate choice to join us so people who join us are generally if i had to go like are sincere honest folks like not like flashy folks who are in our company for the wrong reason generally we have had like a fairly consistent earnest and sincere culture so what that meant is uh, that they were trying to do their best but we still miss the mark here or there so what i realized was the uh, sort of craft focus <clears throat> taste creating the right space and sometimes the pressure to hit a prototype to the market but sometimes creating the space for the team to and that those judgment calls i started getting involved a lot more and uh, and then like personally uh, setting up the team for success and spending that time so i think that transformation is uh, helping a lot talking about people is there anything that you changed your mind when it comes to managing people over time oh, this is a very big topic for me like a whole lot i i think i've gone from being a very crappy uh, leader i think uh, <clears throat> to being at least consciously aware that i uh, every day i have to come into work and make it better i i feel we made a lot of initial mistakes uh, i feel why, like why were you why did you consider yourself a crappy leader earlier on I think like in hindsight I know I was an accelerator not in force No but I think I'm talking about that self awareness like right. you know what do you know now about the past you uh, which you now want to change Right so one is uh, like actively managing people's uh, growth uh, within clear I think uh, we were uh, we never thought about it and so consequently then actions did not happen where uh, I think uh, there were a bunch of folks who who've trusted us and fortunately some of them have stuck around and they have grown with us uh, but there have been patches where we have not uh, grown as a company uh, like <clears throat> due to whatever factors like wh- whether it was execution macro what have you in those in those junctures people can leave and if we and some people did leave some people chose to stay now the people who cho- who chose to stay chose to stay despite uh, like my sometimes misguided leadership and what have you and i think uh, over there now we are far more intentional so if i were kind of blunt you're saying that they chose to stay despite you not because of you and the shift that you want to make now is to make sure that more people are staying 
so i'm giving myself the harshest well. score i can of course yeah, i think so as ceos that's that's and founders especially yeah, yeah. that's so, always you hold yourself up to the highest standard yeah so over here i would say like we could have like when i look back we could have been done a much better job like being intentional in giving people uh, different roles uh, offering uh, more offering more of us to them being more uh, can i ask you to be more specific because i mean the the original question was what have you changed your mind about managing people so right so the big things is uh, i think a few things which are which come with scale i i don't worry about them too much like going from a three people company to a 800 people or at peak 1000 people company uh, the organizing teams setting up teams I think over there it is all learned capabilities learned skill so I think over there I'm not uh, too worried I think we made the mistakes which all growth stage startups go through not too bad like I think the part where intentional about these are our people we have to focus on their careers their success figure out ways to grow them uh, and if they are bringing a like the right uh, like if they're bringing the right attitude uh, how do we partner with them till it hurts mindset shift is what i'm talking about like i think that mindset shifted for me uh like about a few years ago but i wish it had shifted very early on so is it i'm i'm still not sure that i fully understand but are you essentially saying that you can't you shouldn't leave the career growth of your best people only to them but you need to have like a very strong plan yourself also to partner them and to give them a career is is that what you're is hinting that's, at that's that's one part i i think that's not could like the yeah perhaps so, clarify yeah i think <clears throat> like a more recent example for like let me quantify it right like a more recent example is we uh for uh, 20 folks right now we have invested in leadership coaching for example recently now it's not functional it's about them becoming more self aware them be, uh, them discovering their true strengths and doubling down on those strengths and uh, and answering some very deep questions about themselves so now this may seem very like someone called it therapy for executive leaders <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so this may seem very uh, soft and what have you but from our perspective we are saying like we want to create high performance teams and high performance teams need to be called out and uh, there has been there needs to be a culture of coaching them and so external coaching good internal coaching now we run very deep programs uh, some teams are very good at it now some teams uh, kind of suck so we are uh, asking uh, everybody to raise bar third example would be our teams having enough confrontations uh, what we realized is uh, to grow we have to give critical feedback as well so it's not just the career growth element the career growth element is the output of many inputs going right so i think the first one is being very intentional that people matter and we will invest behind our people and that is the biggest shift that i have made but now i have to make the entire company make and pockets of it have gotten their pockets of it i have to get there so but getting to that is very very important and i think we uh, like simple examples right like so i want to give more color and flavor i think we bootstrap for 4 years right and till y combinator funding happened we had no zero external validation uh, 
so i think that the so, just to be clear you were just losing money for the first because when you say bootstrap and you were also running clear tax the consumer facing side and you weren't like there wasn't a lot of revenue coming in back then right so because we, we, you were we were charging something Uh, to some users, so right. like so, we were getting some revenue, but so we there were, was some revenue coming in, but, but you were still burning money yeah, for the first four years. Yeah, yeah. So we had like, uh, I mean, some savings I had from the Bay Area, <clears throat> and uh, like I think uh, basically <clears throat> we were living on a shoestring budget, and <clears throat> and like we were obviously uh, like we were obviously not in a good financial situation as a company at that time, right? So. but coming back right like the for the first four years no external validation so all validation came from doing right by customers internal validation and what have you now what i did not uh, give importance to and understand at all uh, because my work life was a very like my professional work was very few years so i hadn't gotten to that like that we need to appreciate people when they do something right create uh, the right environment where people feel part of the community part of the group when they get something right they sort of feel that connection and the good and so lot of basics right connection valuing people uh, appreciating them the practice of gratitude the confrontations necessary to give tough but necessary feedback uh investing in people's growth identifying strengths and weaknesses a lot of these investments were never made so i i feel the overall challenge of going from 300 3 people to 1000 people i i mean that like is a journey filled with managerial mistakes which every first time founder makes and i made and all organizations must go through their own respective learnings in that part right so i'm not too stressed on that part i think the just taking customer obsession along with obsession. people obsession employee obsession would have been awesome i think that's one thing which like for example why combinator doesn't talk about like and if they start inculcating those practices and habits to early stage founders that'd be great because if you can make uh, the customer top topic top of mind make the people topic also top of mind and i think founders are smart resultant tree will grow differently and it'll be fine You met your co-founders Ankit and Srivatsan at a hackathon that you organized for Paytm in 2011. What was that hackathon? Yeah, so I'd moved back from the Bay Area, and in the Bay Area to meet new people, there like you can go to hackathons, and that is how pre-boom times, like serious engineers who were startup-oriented, would meet and what have you. So, so then I <coughs> wanted to uh, to do a hackathon so that I can and Delhi NCR was particularly dead at that time. Like there was no startups there. Uh, so then i reached out to google and google said they can sponsor it and then then i had to look for a space because there were not co-working spaces didn't exist we were did not exist at that time so so then i pinged a few people and then they said like vijay of paytm has uh, will offer you the space at his uh, noida office and they are very nice people and so on and so forth so then they said they'll sponsor the food and stuff and they said okay we'll host it there uh, because uh at google i think i had to take some approval for their offices and what have you i i obviously didn't have any office i was just working out of my parents ho- uh, like house in delhi so and then like uh, then shivatsan and ankit showed up to that hackathon and then we got talking so that's how the relationship blossomed i, I think it was 
super fun to meet them and uh, they were ankit was the best programmer i knew and then uh, sivatsun was a very prolific designer very quick and so i thought like these guys are awesome so that's how we got great your father is a chartered accountant and it was i understand through him that the original idea of focusing on the tax space came about because he felt that there were a lot of problems for consumers and businesses i mean that was 2011 what are the prom- problems of consumers and businesses of today that you see and when you compare them to what you thought they would be in 2011 what's the difference right so i think uh, i think that is a journey f- filled with learnings so 2011 we didn't start a company we launched a product and in my mind the what's the difference uh, we were just uh, creating a product which we thought would be useful to useful to somebody we weren't even sure is this a company we didn't even know what is a company we hadn't incorporated one i think we incorporated one finally because uh, because we thought like okay so we have to give out salaries at some point and so on and so forth so i think uh, and then somebody told us like you'll have to clean up and put intellectual property into that company okay I, we didn't even know those words so uh, so i think the key thing was we were building a product and then the focus was on craftsmanship and user impact and not on like hey we are we have a startup here so i think that's how we got started uh, the the evolution has been a deep understanding of like customer needs which which are like which matter and which can eventually lead to either monetization or lead to some uh, so we so i think the dance of not just creating something which is nice and maybe you give out for free kind of thing to now creating something which is valuable you can probably charge for it directly or indirectly and and then like marrying to purpose and meaning so for example we'll never build trading software we think like the house wins and customers lose money our motto is simplifying financial lives we have to create uh, economic value and so on and so forth so for us like we, there was always a purpose driven thing and that continues so when we evaluate our roadmaps and our futures and our customer needs we obviously uh, can go in directions which are not uh, which serve a customer need but eventually it does not add to the world so they those we don't prosecute on but now when we measure something we are for example we figured like in india for example i have a uh, i have a contra sas thesis what do i mean by that is uh, indian labor continues to be cheap white collar high quality labor continues to be cheap and will be cheap for the next 10 years so the sas you build in india must be something that humans can't do if they can do it like you can't build a really meaningful company so it's software versus human arbitrage you're saying yeah the humans are like high, finance jobs even are very high quality jobs in this country like because so very high quality talent works in finance in the first world if you are a very high quality thinker they'll move you to a business role or a product role or a more they'll not keep you in the back office they'll firmly move you to the to a more higher impact role uh, i've seen this time and again in the first world but in the third world you will like you can have a very nice finance job and and what have you because there's talent like in all like we are 1.4 billion people so so i think the thesis i have is uh, just coming back sorry to bring yeah the contra thesis yeah the, yeah the contra thesis is in india you have to do things which which like 
the software software is the last resort only then can you monetize it only then can you make uh, real money out of it so so my view has become like so you're saying unlike other countries people don't countries. use yeah first world countries people don't use software because simply because it's cheaper and more efficient you're saying that may not always be true in it's india it's not true at all because the per capita give me an example in from your space perhaps like okay if you talk about gst and what have you right our software is about 10x better than using humans in excel but uh, the uh, i mean like if you look at the government portal versus us like we are 10x better the people don't value time as much like on the That's individual side your indian uh, affliction right I that we don't capita, attach a per value gdp yeah. matters right like uh, in the in the countries we are now heading into the per capita gdp is 50000 usd right india is like 2600 or 700 right so it really matters right like the even if the median accountant will make like 4 and 1/2 lakh rupees so then uh, then the software if it's 7 lakh rupees the, these these things matter to the customer in that sense they are like i will not cut a headcount for this and so in the us or in the first world countries when you sell saas they can prevent one headcount and that justifies the saas fee over here that does not justify the saas fee so Uh, so I think I don't want to go into pricing, which is a very deep topic. No, so thus, what is the so therefore like, so SaaS uh, in India has to be something which humans possibly can't do if you're running a transaction-rich platform or you're doing like like for so the answering the first original question, customer needs in my mind, for example, bringing access to capital, doing something in financial services really adds value. Uh, that evolution has happened when we, for example, we built uh, software for small businesses. Uh, we realized after talking to enough businesses even though gst was coming even though invoicing is necessary and so on so forth our our now clear thesis is the problems to solve are in their on the financial side is how do they get access to better working capital or how do they solve their business working capital needs or business loans need on the other side like how do they generate more business demand and what have you software even if you make the best quality software which works seamlessly on the smartphone seamlessly the addressable opportunity for the next 5 years is very small it'll evolve and it'll get big as the gdp grows as the per capita hmm. gdp grows so, so you're saying that your software therefore and most software in in the space are just a means to an end and they themselves will not become significant revenue drivers on their own yeah so when i i say significant i'm talking about 1000 crores going to 5000 crores Got kind it. of like levels right like i'm really talking about like we are talking about like being in the top 100 software saas companies in the world right not not okay. isn't there like a parallel that you see between your b2c initial thinking and your b2b initial thinking as well because in b2c also you started out saying look these customers are not going to pay we'll figure out a way b2b we, we went the other way right we charged day zero and mm. b2b we didn't but you'll still make a lot of money from them through other things like for example helping them access loans working capital etc eventually yes but we have not predicated the company on it so All we right. we uh, on the b2b side we uh, since we had the learning from b2c we started with seven module uh, we started with one module and we've now expanded to seven modules so we we were never at a place where okay this one module is make or break the government innovation can destabilize the business so there are now seven modules uh, software and, modules and what are these modules like different functionalities different uh, problem spaces so one is for gst which is generally referred to as indirect tax then there is tds and 
payroll parts of the TDS, like which are direct taxes. So when you pay your employees or vendors, that part. Another example is electronic invoicing and waybills. When your trucks move, when your invoices move. Another example is tax credit management. Now we have a new supply chain software which helps businesses do the digitization of the invoice to all the way to paying uh, their vendors, uh, matching with purchase orders, creating. And these are orders. all modules within your offering. So depending within on the which clear modules. Finance cloud. Yeah, so we call it the Clear Finance Cloud. And then in that, like you have the supply chain offering. Then we bought a company for uh, MCA and company secretarial things. So you have to report a bunch of things every every board meeting, every, uh, like you have to sign a bunch of documents for your board meeting. You have to get the board meeting onto a certain, the company secretary has to do a bunch of things. So we digitized all that. Then we bought a company for discounting, which is the financial services opportunity that comes next then we took this offer global to saudi now which now. was my next question yeah i mean why is why saudi arabia i mean how did you arrive at the choice of that country when you were looking to expand beyond india so we have five or six qualifying criteria on which we evaluate uh, a country going to electronic invoicing if we find five out of the six parameters to be true then we enter that country now it so happened that saudi was the saudi passed all the five criteria. Uh, saudi actually passed six so then it became clear to us that we have to enter uh, and then it was a very uh, like unclear contrarian like unclear bet because our original hypothesis was that for SaaS we have to go to the us and that's where nirvana lies and blah 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 and then we discovered that our technology and the and at the scale we manage and what we do is mature and we can serve Saudi customers well. So, so now as we speak, we have the largest out of the top ten retailers. We have probably have the eight of the top ten on our platform. We, in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia, we have one of the largest telco companies as our customers. We have the largest petroleum uh, like the company, largest wholesalers. So I mean, it's it's getting very interesting. We are serving some of the very marquee logos in, in Saudi. So I think the selection criteria worked out really well. So, uh, but we obviously had a lot of misgivings because we had a lot of friends out in UAE, like Dubai, like we, we had enough stories of Indians going there and there was a reference network and what have you. Saudi was very opaque. We had to literally fly in, meet a lot of folks, build connects, understand what it takes. There were no other SaaS companies, no Indian SaaS company we know which has presence in Saudi. We couldn't lean on any playbook. Uh, we reached out to a bunch of SaaS founders. Everybody had, and because we would like Google, okay, India SaaS going to Middle East and we'd talk to them and they, it'll turn out like they opened a small thing in Middle East in Dubai and it didn't go anywhere and then they had either gone to the EU or the US and, and it wasn't a serious thing. Only Zoho had a serious thing, but Zoho's playbooks are very mature, very different scale and maturity than us. So we couldn't emulate them at all because the playbooks don't work. They are SMB, we are enterprise. So so I think, <clears throat> so that execution was filled with a lot of uh, amb uncertainty and ambiguity, but we got it done. Uh, so pretty happy. How about long that. ago did you enter Saudi Arabia? Two years ago. That was and the how, start. How many people, does it, I mean, asking as someone who doesn't know this much, but doesn't working in the space that you are mean having a lot of deep domain knowledge about the tax codes, etc. and all this. Do you have a lot of people working for you in Saudi Arabia who translate that Saudi yeah, so, yeah, tax we, codes, etc. into your software? Yeah, we have to be good at like understanding the tax code which is published in Arabic. We have to understand the law fully. We have to get 
certifications in that country uh, we have to have data residency in that country we have to have registered entity in that country we need approvals from all the authorities so there's a lot of regulatory work that we have to go through we have to understand the full law we become the experts on their law advising them on what to do and the finance teams of those countries come look at us as experts to drive their compliance in their country and so that's the transformation we do so when you took this to your board saying that you wanted to go to saudi arabia what was the reaction <laughs> i think they had no reaction i think they they probably did not understand anything at that time so how did you get it past them by not spending a lot on the expansion how did you i think the board operates with us like we we have been fortunate like the board operates with a lot of trust with us so i think over there uh, i think that's number one second i think we didn't commit too many dollars so i think like the if it's if it's a small bet like then the boards are like why stop the the team and the ceo from doing something the third thing is i think uh, i think the plan was communicated very well like these are the risks this is the opportunity we are trying something it's a bet if it fails it's a write off if it works then you have a business which has gone global so i think from a board perspective it it was a no brainer to be honest i i don't think any sane board member in any reasonable company would have said no to it does clear have a north star goal so right now we have uh, put a goal for profitability but that's like a short term goal uh, but it's an important goal because we feel uh, that independence that the company is long term sustainable matters to us so but Do you get questions from employees as to why profitability is such an important goal for the organization uh, 100% like people ask that question i think the environment has changed so much that the the question is uh no longer coming Valuation. so often uh because like we we've, we've had this goal to monetize ourselves and get to real revenues for the last 3 years so, so i think we sort of uh we sort of figured i don't know what spidey sense in the core team figured that this is not sustainable the, the thing that is happening and our value and valuation and the like and what have you so Three and a half years ago, we started prioritizing that we have to get to revenues, real revenues, and real ARR, real cash, uh, and cash flow. So overall, <clears throat> and I'm a big believer in cash flow. So like we used to do cash-based accounting for a long time, even though we run other people's accrual accounting <laughs> methodology. So so basically, uh, that the and we wanted. cash flow at scale not profitability with small numbers and small uh, because we continue to expand globally we have three more outposts now figuring out how to go into more countries and what have you so so i think profitability but at scale uh, is is important so that's like a initial milestone the north star though is about i think it's cliched but north star is about the like on the business b2b side we want to create a b2b network where finance teams are able to come and uh, get compliant get working capital and uh, these are the two major themes that we have so on the north star side the, the india ambition was like build the b2b network get compliant get cash uh, get working capital we have now expanded the ambition to be global because we think like the 
B2B network is a global construct and we'll take the compliance plus working capital to a global level. What do you think about when it comes to motivating employees via goals or metrics? Does it work? What's your style at Clear? So that has seen significant evolution. I think when we started, we were fairly immature about putting a, a North Star goal, which was ambitious, but with no supporting how. And what that would lead is to, and generally, like all startups, we had a very young team. So we would sign up to goals without any uh, any kind of a plan. And Stretch goals. <laughs> just big, hairy, yeah, audacious goals. Goal and like with no, with no operating plan and no... Uh, rigor on how to get there i think we started uh, the vocabulary of an annual operating plan and operating plan and how to get there and we obviously have gotten better at it but the what we have over time evolved towards and something which is very positive now which we i've personally tried to nurture a lot more is what set of input initiatives change the business materially into a more stronger business so the profitability goal is also linked here because like I'll give an example, right? Uh, when we started, we were not enterprise SaaS on the B2B journey. We were, a, I would say at best SMB SaaS. Uh, we were serving small chartered accountants and enterprises would come to us uh, who would see that these guys have built something valuable and they would extract technology out of us. And then we would like, we would not understand truly what being enterprise meant. Uh, and so that evolution, for example... What does that mean? They would extract technology out of us? They would buy our licenses and subscription and then they would tell us that you have something more valuable, turn it more valuable like this. Kind of. Oh, so you're saying that they were underpaying you for the value that they were getting out of your platform? No, I think they saw potential in us and then we put out an enterprise sales team and then they would buy from us despite us not having enterprise DNA and creds and enterprise credentials and enterprise capabilities they would see potential in our technology and then they would say, okay, okay we'll buy from you. Uh, I think we were uh, we were ambitious enough to go into enterprise doors, but we didn't have the right technology which would like scale at that, uh, like at that level, we acquired very large logos and then we were sometimes not able to keep up the servers running. And in the beginning, we thought these are nice problems to help, we just scale it. But what we realized is, uh, it was also a very mindset transformation for the entire company going from a very consumer DNA to a very enterprise DNA, uh, putting the customer onboarding, success, integrations and what have you. So I'll give you an example, right? Now we are driving an integrations project, uh, technology project, which, which once we succeed in here, we can go live with almost all of our technology without the customer having to tweak things we, we've created an intermediary middleware layer where the customer can, uh, it runs with configuration and not customization. So that is a, a very long running project. Like we've funding it, we have been funding it for nine months. We've never had the patience to do these kind of things early in our, like I would say in the first eight years, right? Like the to be fair, you need to be of a certain scale and stage in the organization to be able to make these kind of bets as well, right? In your early stages, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I, you I never have the luxury. either luxury capital time space to be able to do these things. Right. So I'm just saying like uh, when you ask the goals and metrics question now, I think 
the as i said the company has evolved that uh, putting goals is necessary otherwise like you never can have a ambition going because how do you measure metrics uh, like we've slowly 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 automated a bunch of things now we have dashboards where people can go look up nobody has to generate a report and what have you i don't think that has changed the company i think this inputs focus has changed the company i think that can arrive in companies even when they are smaller the input initiative can be two weeks long or a month long or a quarter long but if the inputs are going right and in the right direction so you're focusing on input excellence rather than outcomes first inputs and outcomes not outputs like not hmm. like revenue can uh, revenue Give me an example of an input um, so this integration project times. for example is one one example like where nine months of investment now we are starting to see the first uh, set of customers go live now, another example is uh, like building a prototype letting it marinate with customers and not in the beginning right away start to sell it to everyone and so on and so forth so so some bit of maturity but a lot more inputs have to move a lot more uh, initiatives have to go right and a lot less why did this revenue number not happen uh, in the projected time that it needed to happen what is it that you feel you add most value to clear as its ceo Could i think more than one things yeah i think one is ambition i think i'm personally not satisfied uh like uh, e- like easily or at all like kind of thing i think there's a deep drive to build something from india which is very important to a the indian economy b uh, globally relevant i think that desire uh is on a like building an important company so that is number one second is i see my like i'm that banya family like the the person right like so i grew up in a family of traders shopkeepers uh, my father was the first professional uh, everybody else barely finished school or college in his generation i think everybody in our generation was well educated by them so what i saw was but like obviously a lot of my cousins work in the same businesses and some have done well some have not done so well in the family businesses and and so on and so forth what i saw first hand was and that has been a core driver for me personally was like we have to build something for small businesses medium businesses in the, in, in this country to scale and then and on the indian consumer side like uh, there has been a deep frustration with how people manage money because we see the final output so over there the two axes of technology and financial access is something we want really to create impact on india especially i think we are a very poor country emerging but like uh, and the fact of the matter is like we will only grow when businesses grow and to me that is now a very important part of our mission that how do we create how do we go from only collateral to information powering the economy because if a business is doing well and that can be evidenced from cash flows invoices gst and so on and so forth and obviously the government is trying what they are trying but then what is our role in enabling and powering that is something i find very important so that is the so these are the two parts of the ambition that i bring i think the other 
parts will be around customer obsession around uh, really understanding what it takes to build software i think software is a mix of science and art i don't think it is pure science uh, so i think those would be the three things i bring your 800 plus people you've been around for since 2011 so you've obviously done a lot of hiring and i'm sure hiring is one of the things that you spend continue to spend a lot of time on do you have any heuristics for spotting talented people when you're meeting them or like you know which you then perhaps rely on to reach out and ask if they would like how do you spot talented people what are their tells yeah so a few characteristics are um and it depends on the i think the level uh, so some so i think it varies from junior like younger people early in their careers to senior folks uh, late in their career but i think one a common thread is like a deep passion for their craft i i think uh <clears throat> i think like that is a common thread that i've seen talented people who we would like to work with that they are very focused on being or heading towards excellence on what they want to put out in the world so i i feel like whoever gets lazy in that element uh like of putting in the work and staying on top of their game uh i think so i think that has been one thread right like the uh, they they like working uh, for f- and improving themselves every and they challenge themselves and what have you so that's number one number two is which i have found uh, like ridiculous and and like ridiculously good signal is very high levels of curiosity and not just like the early curiosity of exploring a new domain not like the butterfly kind of curiosity but very deep curiosity to go deep on how do things work so so i've th- i've seen like that uh because it's the curiosity which drives a lot of understanding and uncovering uh uncovering where does the fault line lie where does the greatness lie and uh the third one is uh, raising the bar and like sort of not settling sort of that one related plus. to the first one itself passion for excellence and yeah but like i think the third one is a more about like when outcomes happen for themselves and their teams like they're not satisfied with uh, early baseline like they're always asking the question what does good to great look like what does so that ambition that, in that uh-huh, that ambition that like and and that hunger to so i think like these 2 3 are are really relevant i've seen like uh, all the other signals of how they articulate how they uh like are they introverted understated overstated fa- flamboyant all of those are noise not signal like i i figured i have now anti patterns on all of these these three i don't have anti patterns and and when you are interviewing do you have any recurring or favorite open ended questions that you ask people uh to get the conversation going or to see what their responses are right i a couple of standard ish questions that i i look at is 
one is uh, diving deep on the team that they uh, like now as i interview people i have to hire folks at least around me who are good at managing and scaling team so i think i ask the team question a lot uh, to a younger pe- person i will not what you, kind of a team open ended team question would you ask like generally uh, what kind of a team did you inherit so i'll get a sense of how much agency they have and like how, what do they what do they really talk about then i'll say was it a a team or a b team or a c team i have not defined whether it's a a team b team or a c team uh, when you left what kind of a team did you leave it like what was the evolution of the team like how did the team evolve how did you evolve what was the most challenging so like we'll so there's a lot of self awareness also built into these questions of their own yeah so self awareness think of it as a or b whether they think of the impact that they had as a or b etc also and like how intentional were they in building their teams how intentional were they in scaling the teams what were the core challenges do they acknowledge the core challenges uh, and like do they coast not coast what did they institutionalize what did they not and so on and so forth so this is one question the other one like which is usually thrown up interesting answer is what what is what has failure looked like uh, in like over the last let's say one year five years 10 years whatever like whatever horizon we decide to dive deep on failure what did failure look like and that brings in a more sense of that self awareness the the humility to uh look at mistakes uh, otherwise sometimes hubris or pos- like too much positioning and i think the stepping back and uh, observing uh, so how observational are they can they uh, figure out what mistakes look like and so on and so forth sorry i've been meaning to ask you this you mentioned um, your leadership team working with coaches do you work with a leadership coach as well so the same coach i, I like we work on certain uh areas so and like, and uh, without going into specifics what has been your what changed in you since you started working with a coach so couple of things one was uh really really crystally defining what does success look like this like for example the horizon we work in is a quarter uh and we can dial it up or dial it down depending on the kind of project but what does success look like this quarter like defining it very sharply helping the teams and individuals visualize it was a big change uh, earlier i would leave it fuzzy uh, for the person i may have a success visualization or i may have not like depending on the problem if i'm not close to it i may have not even thought about the question but just sharpening that question and that visualization and writing it together uh, like uh, the person usually writes it and i can obviously give feedback but that person deciding what success for their group or them as a individual contributor and them as a people uh, manager or the team looks like has really helped uh, like <clears throat> has really helped so this one is uh, it's like basically feels very obvious but uh, like i was not doing it enough i think i think the i have not seen coaches do anything which is not very obvious but this one was like obvious and good i think the other one was uh, again focused on people like uh, <clears throat> i don't um, share enough like uh, as a person generally introverted so i have no trouble sharing it's just introverted so it doesn't strike me that i have to share 
uh, what is the what am i thinking what what are the uh, what are we going through and <clears throat> what do we need to change or what where do we need to so i think these two would be the ones which i am working on how do you keep active <clears throat> so that is very high priority to me uh, because i feel i asked because i i noticed that you're still as fit today as i remember you back from 2016 or so awesome okay so the benchmark is <laughs> <laughs> is kept uh, so that's personally very important to me because i feel uh, i feel like uh, and uh, like this is this is a funny story i moved to the us in uh, after graduating from uh, the iit uh, at guwahati and then went to madison and then i saw like people were extremely fit right like people running around people playing a lot of sports and so i started uh, playing sports i started like being much more active and then i realized that this is the way of life like it's not something that you do and this is not something that is so then i uh, really incorporated that uh, like for the first few years after moving to india i used to play ultimate frisbee very regularly but after the covid and the kid i think uh, really got screwed up but uh, the i didn't have any bandwidth to now go play and train with the team um, so instead like i i have a rowing machine i row and uh, like i enjoy uh, running i enjoy like uh, if i can i'll lift some weights and over there like it's on and off because sometimes i uh if i'm not consistent like the, the uh, that's a consistency game i keep trying to do yoga uh like on and off but uh, basically i'll try to show up to do something four times a week that something could be just a brisk walk like if it's if i'm having a, a day where i'm not able to push myself or if i'm able to push i'll try to do what i can so but it's a personally a very important value i keep uh, sharing that to the team that look uh, i mean this is a long term game the stamina needed to perform at high levels the physical game the mental game both are needed so i'm i'm a believer on like the the yoga style or what have you the sports past part is painful because i wish i there was less traffic so i could get somewhere to play <laughs> you and me and every bangalorean who is listening <laughs> to this podcast how's archit the father different from archit the ceo i think fatherhood is very new to me uh, i was like a uh, 2 year old um i think i'm learning to switch off from work when i'm with uh, arya like i i personally struggle a lot to switch off so over there for example i i did a recent experiment i'll share that before i uh, so like i uh, me and the baby we went to uh, my my parents live in delhi and so basically we decided like just me and the baby will fly go meet the grandparents spend a day or two and then fly back and we'll give a break to my wife so it was about vinita trusting you to do get all <laughs> so of I think, this so i think i think that's half the equation the other half was like me checking if i'm like uh, i can be fully present and i'm like capable of 
like being a caregiver when like because i think over there i'm fortunate my wife pulls a lot of like i think it's 80% her 20% me so i i'm trying to get better of at being more present and so i i think like i really enjoy the time that i spend with the baby i think it's just how more present can i be how uh because at work i'm fairly present i don't check out i i'm fairly on so how do i bring the same level of like uh and i and also like it's a lot of fun to play uh and so that fun element like keep bringing it back like uh, i think so that's the difference what do your weekends look like so now i don't work weekends uh that's changed after the baby uh and the uh, and it's the change is like more 7 se- 8 months ago not not even like couple of years so over he- over there what i try to do is fit as much as i can during the 5 days uh saturday and sunday generally the goal is just to spend time with the family uh we have a ritual sunday morning we'll head to kaban uh walk for 2 and 1/2 3 hours as much as we can um we'll <coughs> we'll try to talk uh like whatever we wanted to catch up on during the week and kept getting postponed for some reason uh then the other part is uh like the baby uh like she's walking now so if she walks like then sometime or in the stroller or what have you and then i think generally just the get get like maybe 10 15000 steps in sit and have like a a little bit of a picnic get out in the nature so for me personally walking in nature is very important and uh, to me i get very cranky if i'm not uh, heading into nature so like this sort of solves for both purposes i need to be outdoors i need to like uh, like so that the only way i can do it is either kaban park or lalbag like these are the only two places i find enough that i don't like loop around fast enough that my brain is like this is fake this is fake <laughs> i need a little more wo. so i i like whenever i travel i try to find hikes like 5 to 5 hours hikes are okay with me like so so that that element is very important to me are there things that you do that others might find quirky hmm you'll have to define quirky otherwise i'm it's fine if you can't if it doesn't strike you something as quirky then it probably isn't how would you rate your performance as a ceo and as a parent on a scale of 1 to 10 so parent uh 7 on 10 um ceo 6 on 10 i'm curious why do you rate yourself as a 6 on 10 as ceo i think the the kind of talent we have the kind of opportunity we have we uh could have prosecuted it much faster much deeper so as a founder i feel uh i could have done more uh but on the other hand me and my uh, uh core team we were looking at the deck we had sh- uh, built for series b we are only 9 months behind so I, uh, of our projected target uh, from 4 years ago so i'm i'm thinking not so bad 6 <laughs> out of 10 times when you're out what do you end up ordering to eat 
सो दो दैट्स द प्रॉब्लम लाइक आई डू स्ट्रेस इट एंड शुगर इज द स्ट्रेस ईटिंग सो दिस इज द थिंग आई एम ट्राइंग टू मैनेज एंड लर्न टू मैनेज अर्लियर माई मेटाबलिज्म रेट वॉज हाई इनफ दैट इट डिट मैटर now it is slowing now down you are you know one year away from turning 40 yeah screw that like <laughs> so early it didn't matter at all what i ate like now it does so like the so if like ice cream or like some mithai like i north indian mithai is like whatever like so i think that would be the like the go to like uh, indulgence uh, now i'm trying to be a little more right <laughs> it but the stress eating stuff yeah. i also read somewhere that you were into cooking or are into cooking and during the pandemic you got into it you tried sardo etc are you still uh, cooking yeah, uh, not as much but like i think the the pandemic was a special time uh, now i do on some saturdays or sundays i'll i'll make a italian veggie bake like that's like my signature recipe now uh, wherever like a few friends are over or the family like i'll it's a very easy recipe like just cut up a bunch of veggies and season them well with uh, a few things and then stick them in the uh, oven so it's a very lazy but nice sunday afternoon kind of a recipe what does personal time for you look like which is yours so primarily reading uh, what do you read could be anything fiction or non fiction i've always enjoyed reading physical books or kindle ipad so kindle ipad for books which are not easily available for a uh, kindle for most part like not available in india or the form factor if i'm traveling or if i have a break or the other part now more recently is baby will fall asleep and then i can't like switch on the light so i'll read on the kindle because it's like oh. but uh, like pg woodhouse for like one of my favorite authors and then science fiction uh, genres science fiction genre are very wide um, and then non fiction could be business stuff or could be uh, like <clears throat> deeper books which like earlier i would not appreciate now i've started to and what does focus mode look like for you mm. at work like two kinds of one is writing long form so i think really helps structure thoughts and uh the other one is like whiteboard where we are huddling trying to solve like two three people are trying to solve a tough problem can't figure out initially or the long form writing is not gotten to the answer then trading thoughts breaking it down making like uh, trying with each other like how do we get past this yeah got on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with life 9 on 10 Maybe. which mornings of the week do you look forward to the most fairly neutral like i think every day is pretty good like i think uh i think 9 on 10 and every day being consistent is like correlated what was the last thing you really geeked out over coffee so i never drank coffee till the baby was born zero like i used to drink green tea and chai sometimes right like and so after the baby was born i discovered okay the baby wakes up every 2 hours i have not slept and there were days in the office where i would be like ha huh, what did this guy say like because my brain i like my brain would really shut off like i somebody was talking to me and like i'm i've not had much sleep and 
I think in in the twenties it was fine. Now in late thirties it's not okay at all with no sleep. So, so then uh, then I said okay I'll try coffee. And one of my co-founders, Ankit, is a big coffee nut, and he had like all sorts of like these aeropresses and this pour over and like and so he said, man, you should probably drink some coffee because there was like I would fall off asleep in a conference room when people are like talking about something. So then. Uh, then he gave me beans then he gave me some like an aeropress and so i got into it and it was super fun like i was like okay i should have discovered coffee what's early. your favorite uh, mode of um, coffee preparation uh, right, right now. now i'm geeking out on pour overs and different grind sizes and uh, different beans and different temperature so i pour overs are a little more fun but aeropresses are the ones where i more consistently good coffee but uh, pour overs are a lot more fun do you have an internal or external nickname which reflects something about your personality no personality orientation i think my mother has always called me archi not archit if and if if they if you could have a say in a nickname which reflects who you are is there something like that so my college uh, age of empires gaming name was maverick <laughs> so oh. i used to think of myself <laughs> as maverick so but it was very top gun inspired yeah Maverick is a great nickname to end this podcast with. Thank you so much for your time, Archit. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Roy. It was super fun.